Thanks so much for joining us today, Kevin. It's unusual for me to say this at the top of an interview, as I'm not normally someone that's easily lost for words, but I have to tell you, I barely know where to start with the topic we're going to discuss today. I'm referring to the extraordinary, inspiring, and while not unprecedented by any means, certainly the biggest single day of strike action the United Kingdom has seen for over a decade. We'll of course get into the details in a moment, but let's begin by getting your overall impression, your general sense of what is currently going on, as much at a human emotional level as a political one. What we're seeing is uh, the accumulation of people's anger and in some ways despair of the last 10 years, 12 years of austerity in Britain, and then added to uh, the sense of a government which is in crisis, which has lost its way, and a feeling, a renewed feeling that perhaps you can do something about it. And this has been building up over, over quite a few years, and it's in the last uh, year or so that this has become really concentrated. And it's in all sectors of the economy, the public sector and the private sector. Before this strike wave, there'd been a succession of um, localised strikes or strikes company by company. Uh, this is uh, manufacturing, uh, bus companies, and you had workers taking action for the first time and, and winning, and winning some important uh, battles. For example, the uh, dockers uh, on Merseyside, which is uh, famous because there was a long drawn-out dispute two, two years in 1995 into 1997, which the dockers lost, the dockers were sacked in, uh, at that port. And recently, there's been uh, strikes for stage strike action, and they've won. They've won on pay, they've won on jobs, and so on. So there's been a, 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 a growing confidence at the base of the working class movement and the preparedness to take action. And then that's mushed in with the cost of living crisis. Of course, the uh, war in Ukraine uh, added a spike to inflation internationally, but already the, the cost of living was rising uh, this time a year ago, so before the invasion of, uh, of Ukraine. You've mentioned uh, some of the important shifts that have already taken place in the industrial landscape in Britain, uh, Kevin, uh, namely Victory, which is, uh, I have to say, a, a novel experience for, for workers in much of the Western world in, in recent decades. But I just wanted to get on to some of the detail of exactly which sections the British workforce have been on strike and why, uh, and I'm struck, pardon the pun, by the sheer diversity uh, of this unfolding movement, this magnificent revival of old-fashioned working-class struggle. From what I've read, some 500,000 people have been on strike at one time or another over the course of the past few months, as you've mentioned already, some of those sections. And, and uh, it's a very exhaustive list. We'd probably be here all night, actually, to, to go through the list of, of, of sections of the workforce that have been on strike. But it includes teachers, nurses, train drivers, ambulance workers, airport baggage handlers, border staff, driving instructors, bus drivers, as you mentioned, poster workers, and in the news today, power workers as well, with more than 180 workers at the Drax plant in North Yorkshire voting to go on strike no fewer than nine times over the next three months. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's actually, it's difficult for us to comprehend down here in Australia, uh, Kevin. But talk to us about um, how important that, that aspect of the strike wave is, namely the, the fact that there's a broad cross-section of the working class that is being, that is being represented. I call it a veritable kaleidoscope of, of, the, working, of the working class that, is, that has participated in this still-growing movement. It's important in terms of the uh, confidence of the workers taking part in action and in terms of 
the arguments which are made to counter the employers and the government. Because, to give you an example, when the rail workers uh, were on strike last year, they were in the, the kind of earlier wave alongside the postal workers, uh, overpay and also the radical restructuring of the industry, which would mean the closure of ticket offices, the loss of uh, guards on trains and so on. The standard refrain of the government and of the employers, well, was to point to uh, train drivers, uh, not the average uh, train worker, and say, look, these are very well paid. Why should you be paid more? Why should you have an inflation-proof pay rise when nurses uh, 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 work very hard and they're paid less than, uh, less than you? And then, of course, you have the nurses on strike, and you say, and th- this counters the argument from the government, not just in terms of the nurses taking action, but of other people taking action. So, well, look, you know, we're with the nurses. The rail workers are with the nurses. In fact, one of the rail workers' leaders, um, Nick Lynch, his wife is a nurse, and so that provided a very good counter-argument. And it sees a generalisation of working-class interest. Now, of course, people... Uh, uh, the common factor here is pay and the cost of living, with inflation in double figures. Uh, and that's something that everybody can relate to. So there's simultaneously the desire to win in your industry and also a sense of solidarity across industries. And we saw this last week when there were, as you said, 500,000 people on strike on the same, on the same day, which was uh, the civil servants, the teachers and the lecturers and uh, some train drivers. You've mentioned uh, Mick Lynch there, the General Secretary of the Rail Maritime and Transport Union. And I have to tell you, Kevin, and you, you may be aware of this already, because I do know you have plenty of friends and comrades down here in Australia, but Mick Lynch, uh, alongside his brilliant offsider, Eddie Dempsey, have amazingly enough become mini-celebrities in this country via the magic of the internet, and of course especially among trade unionists. I've personally developed something of a crush on both of these men, uh, having watched many a YouTube video with titles like Mick Lynch Destroys Piers Morgan and Mick Lynch Destroys BBC Bias Live On Air. So it's just fantastic stuff, really inspiring. Uh, and, it, you know, it's terribly entertaining and, and satisfying in many ways. But there is, of course, a very serious side to this. I would say both men now arguably sit alongside the great National Union of Mine Workers leader Arthur Scargill in terms of representing something much more than the sectional interests of their own members. It's a big question really, but what does the, if you like, celebrity status of union leaders like Lynch and Dempsey tell us about the potential cultural and political shifts taking place in the United Kingdom? That and the popularity of the strikes, the level of support for the strikes, which of course there is, you know, the nurses are more popular than the train workers and so on. But what you just uh, outlined and the popularity of the strikes points to a shift in attitudes among people, whether or not they're in a, they're in a trade union. There are about six or seven million people in trade unions in, uh, in Britain. So there's a sense of them and us. There's a real sense of a class divide in, uh, in British society with a, a very rich... Um, uh, Tory cabinet, in fact, the richest man in parliament is Rishi Sunak, the, the prime minister. So it tells you that, a kind of basic class identification. But there's something else, which is the uh, videos that you've seen, Ingham, Mick, Eddie, and the other trade union leaders as well, outlining very basic good, popular left arguments about where the money could come from, about why it is that 
uh, with a, a, a decade of declining wages, you cannot possibly argue that it's wages that are causing this inflation spike. In fact, it's profiteering and greed which are driving the infl- inflation, uh, the inflation spike. And these arguments made crisply, very directly, are proving popular inside the uh, wider working class movement. And people can adapt those arguments. They hear an argument that they can use to answer the right-wing and anti-union propaganda. And that's why uh, Mikhail and Medi and Dempsey are so, uh, are so popular. They, they refuse to play the, uh, they play the game and they speak a language which people understand. Uh, they make sense. Uh, even people who don't agree with them say that they make sense. And it uh, instills confidence in people. We need 10,000 more like uh, Lynch and Dempsey, and then we really will be uh, somewhere. Coming back to a particular aspect of my earlier question, Kevin, regarding the amazing diversity of this strike wave, one of the aspects that seems to me terribly important is that if we look, for instance, at the strike action by nurses, as you've mentioned, which for listeners' benefit, by the way, is reportedly the largest strike to take place in the National Health Service in its entire 75-year history, that's really worth uh, allowing it to sink in. Uh, but as well as teachers and many other occupations, not only women, but women of colour, migrant women, and men from often vulnerable backgrounds for whom English is a second or third or even fourth language, and who have perhaps in the past felt excluded from the trade union movement, they're at the forefront, absolutely at the forefront of this movement. Your thoughts on that aspect, Kevin? Well, this uh, ties up with what you mentioned uh, a, a few moments ago about we need the, about how we need ten thousand uh, Eddie Dempsey's and, and Nick Lynch's. One of the striking things about this uh, strike strike wave and the participation and the diverse participation that you just uh, just gone through is, that in a sense, it's creating thousands of leaders on the ground, people who are doing uh, interviews with local newspapers, with uh, local radio, uh, people who are uh, out active, leafleting, picketing, talking to other workers, talking to passers-by. And I think it's um, been a surprise for people that uh, actually (laughs) there are large numbers of articulate, confident, working-class people, Mm. uh, men and women, black and white, a whole variety. Which ought not be a surprise, of course, but... when When they get a chance... To, uh, uh, to be heard, actually can uh, put the case very, very well. And it's particularly the case with women. I mean, the majority of trade unionists in Britain now are women. Uh, the majority uh, on strike last Wednesday were women. The teachers' uh, union, the National Education Union, 76% of its membership um, are women. And so you've seen a feminization of the labor force and you've seen a feminization of trade unions. Now, it's still some way to go to have that reflected in representational terms at the top of the union, uh, of, of all the unions. But this is a, uh, a remarkable shift. And it's, it again adds to the sense that this isn't, um, you know, this is always a stereotype, a reactionary stereotype of, uh, of uh, white men, union bosses holding the country to ransom, you know, back in the 1970s. Well, when the right-wing papers try to say that now, they have to show images of these uh, horrible, bullying men who are on strike, which are largely uh, women in the National Health Service, in numerical terms, women in the National Health Service, women in uh, classroom teachers, and very large numbers of uh, black and Asian people. So it really breaks that uh, stereotype. And of course, it opens up the prospect 
of a wider shift in people's understanding and, uh, and, and fighting against uh, sexism and racism in the workforce. We won't get into the question of identity politics because that's a whole other discussion, but to, to use one of the jargon terms that's, that's quite popular on the left these days, it shows, doesn't it, that the working class is, is intersectional, to use that vogue that vogue terminology. But finally, uh, Kevin Oven, and we could talk for hours on this topic. It's really um, inspiring stuff, and, and thanks so much for, for joining us again. But the, and you've mentioned before the, the headline inflation figure. The most recent measure I've seen of inflation in the UK was for the month of December. The figure came in at a whopping 10.5% annually adjusted, which is the highest inflation rate the country has seen in 41 years. That's worth repeating, the highest inflation rate in the UK in 41 years. And yet the Tory government, led by uh, the uh, the Prime Minister you mentioned, the politically fragile Prime Minister, I would I would say, and still very much wet behind the ears, Rishi Sunak, who just yesterday undertook, after only three and a half months in office, his first major cabinet reshuffle, which of course is often a sign of, of instability and, and weakness. He's made that very tired utterly predictable old argument that conceding to pay rise demands would only drive inflation higher and that at any rate the government simply can't afford you know these unreasonable impositions on the ruling class from, from the great unwashed. I mean they're such tired old arguments and, and I suspect that they're not really flying with many people these days but a twofold question Kevin to end on why is Sunak's argument without going into too much of the economic detail but why is Sunak's argument quite frankly complete bullshit and how politically vulnerable is he? Could his, his very hold on power be under threat from this strike wave? And could we see yet another Tory Prime Minister enter through the revolving door at Westminster? The, the central argument exposing what Rishi Sunak uh, and the, the bosses as a whole are saying is that Britain, um, uniquely of the G7 countries, after the crash of 2008 and then the imposition, imposition of austerity from 2010, uniquely has had a, a, a very, very weak uh, recovery. And even insofar as it has recovered, pay went down for 10 years. It is only in the last couple of years that pay was, was, was getting slightly above uh, inflation. And then we've had this whopping uh, uh, hiking uh, uh, inflation. And, yeah, you know, if wages were causing uh, inflation, then why didn't inflation come down over the course of uh, 10 years when wages were going down? It just doesn't fit, and that's something people can understand. The second is uh, the uh, rate of profits, the profits that industry are making. This is summed up uh, crucially by the uh, fossil fuel industry. Shell recently announced and a $30 billion US dollar profit. Um, this is at a time when there's supposed to be disruption of uh, energy supplies, oil, because of the war in Ukraine. And people can see this. They see, on the one hand, uh, a return of the bankers' bonuses, the uh, stock market is up the highest level it's ever been, and at the same time they've been told that there's no money for them. There's money for war, of course, but no money for them. So that's the, uh, the, the, the central and popularly understood arguments. In terms of Sunak's vulnerability, I mean, I think it's extremely vulnerable. The opinion polling has the Tories on usually around 26-27% and Labour on over 40%. And it's been like that for months now. And we have to remember that we've had, uh, since the last election, we had Boris Johnson, then we had um, uh, Liz Truss, and then we have uh, Rishi Sunak. So there's these three prime ministers 
Um, and but both Liz Truss and Boris Johnson were on the movers to possibly make a comeback. That's certainly the case with Boris Johnson. So I think there's uh, uh, unease in the sense of crisis inside the Tory party. They don't really have a strategy of dealing with the uh, strikes. Uh, it's to be hoped that the atmosphere around the strikes generalises and uh, some victories are won. And this will definitely put pressure on the uh, Tory government. There's another question as to what's Labour offering, and the answer is not, not a lot, really, in terms of change. But nevertheless, people are looking to Labour for some kind of change. The difference between previous, uh, the run-up to previous elections is that uh, this time they're looking away from the Tories, they want the Tories out, but they are also looking to see their own self-activity, and that's really the, the, where the hope lies.